just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Sunday. Weekends are a little more low-key than the weekdays. Of course, next week we got a big one coming. On Thursday, the long-awaited January 6th committee hearing. It's going to be on Thursday, and we're expecting that to be a big one, a big bunch of bombshells. Jenny Thomas might be brought up, probably will be brought up. Roger Stone, maybe some sitting members of Congress. This is going to be interesting. And will it be the last hearing before the midterms? Well, it could be. We'll be at mid-October. That just gives us two weeks, three weeks before the midterms. And that may be all they need to do. Now, this will extend past the midterms. And people will say, what if the Republicans win? Then they'll shut it down. Well, the Republicans may shut down the select committee if they win. But even if they win in November, it's not going to be till January before they take office. So it'll still be able to continue after the fact. That said, I don't think there's any way that the Republicans will win the House or the Senate. So I'm not really, really worried about that. I'm just finally getting my land legs back, if you will. You know, having been in Vegas, I was doing podcasts at very late hours, not getting much sleep. When I got back into town at midnight yesterday, I uh, settled in about 1.30. I started doing the podcast, probably didn't get to bed till about 3.30. So I go to bed, don't wake up till 11.00. 11 o'clock in the morning, and that's not usually the way it goes for me, but I got plenty of sleep, so I feel better. It's now about midnight where I'm at right now. I'll do the podcast, and then things will probably get back to normal in terms of my sleeping patterns. Well, let's, let's hope that's the case. Anyway, I'm sitting back at home in Minnesota in my regular climbs. And I feel very comfortable. And we've got plenty of stuff to talk about. There's some interesting things that were happening. According to new reporting from the New York Times, Donald Trump told aides he wanted to make a deal with the National Archives to return the documents and files he stole and brought to Mar-a-Lago in exchange for sensitive documents he believes proves his 2016 campaign did not conspire with the Russians. <laughs> That's interesting. This guy's worried about an election that he fucking won, an election that's been proven to have had meddling by the Russians. It's also been proven that the Russians were doing it to benefit him. He is so butthurt about that 2016 election and that he may not get full credit for winning, which he shouldn't, that he decides he's going to make a deal with the National Archives. First of all, Donnie, you stole those motherfucking documents. You really think you're in a position to deal? I mean, he's the one that put out the book um, Art of the Deal. So he thinks of himself as the master deal maker. 
What's interesting, he didn't write a word in that book. He had a ghostwriter do it. We've heard that person being interviewed about what kind of human Donald Trump is. And uh, this guy's not feeling him at this point. He had a lot to say about him and what a piece of shit he was. And then, of course, while he was president, he never cut any deals. He said, I got all kinds of deal-making skills, but he never cut a deal. He never, ever cut a deal. He's not a deal maker. He's a uh, guy who sits up in an office, talks a lot, and has other people do stuff for him. And of course, while he was president, those people, the only thing they could pull off was a $2 trillion tax credit to the rich. Oh, and he screwed the middle class because while he gave them a little taste of a tax break, uh, then he set it up so that two years later, we would be going back up in our taxes. So that little present he gave us was temporary, but the deal he gave the rich was in perpetuity. Now, as the Times' Maggie Haberman and Michael Schmidt wrote, the former president pressed aides to lie about what he took and was hiding, thus also putting them and his attorneys in legal jeopardy. And some of those folks are starting to feel it right now. The report states Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump still determined to show he had been wronged by the FBI investigation into his 2016 campaign ties to Russia, was angry with the National Archives and Records Administration for its unwillingness to hand over a batch of sensitive documents that he thought proved his claim before adding, in exchange for those documents, Mr. Trump told advisors he would return the National Archives, the boxes of material he had taken to Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. But here's the deal. You're not in a position to fucking negotiate here. You stole the fucking documents. You give them back or you go to jail. Well, he gave some back and then he lied about having more. And now we're hearing that he may even have more yet. Donald Trump is not somebody you can deal with in good faith. It's just not possible with that lying piece of shit. The Times reports that former president's aides never pursued his plan and that the episode demonstrates how Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump spent a year and a half deflecting, delaying, and sometimes leading aides to dissemble when it came to demands from the National Archives and ultimately the Justice Department to return the material he had taken. Interviews and documents show this. The report adds Mr. Trump floated the idea of offering the deal to return the boxes in exchange for documents he believed would expose the Russia investigation as a hoax cooked up by the FBI. Mr. Trump did not appear to know specifically what he thought the archives had, only that there were some items he wanted. The report comes on the heels of additional reporting that the DOJ believes the former president has still not turned over all the documents he took, which could lead to Espionage Act charges and criminal obstruction indictment. Now, he's already earned those fucking things, whether he gave them back or not. But it's very interesting. This guy has the ignorance or the balls to say, yeah, I'll give the stuff back I stole, but only if you give me something else. Donald Trump is so oblivious, he doesn't understand that that's how it, not how it works. 
You broke the fucking law. We'll send the FBI to your house and just grab the shit, which is what they did. Now, the problem is, is where is these other documents that he's alleged to have had or has? Could be up at Bedminster, could be at Trump Tower. I think you're going to be seeing some searches in those locations, too. The fact that he may still have documents is going to be troubling for the DOJ. It's certainly a risk to the security of this country. So they do have to act. And frankly, they need to act pretty quickly. Another goofball delusional story along the lines of Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump's best buddy, my pillow founder, Mike Lindell. Apparently, he's begged Speaker Nancy Pelosi to let him testify before the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Lindell was interviewed by Right Side Broadcasting Network ahead of Trump's rally in Minden, Nevada. I'm going to tell you that fake January 6th charade that's going on, shame on them, Lindell said. Pelosi, you hear me? I want to go there. Lindell said directly to the camera, why don't you get me there? I'd love to come. So what he's suggesting is that she's afraid to bring him in because he has all the evidence. We've been hearing about this evidence for months and months and months, promised that they were going to be exposed. But somehow, some way, we have yet to see a fucking thing. Doesn't Mike Lindell have enough problems than going to the January 6th committee and get perjury charges because he lied to them? I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Just like Donald Trump, Mike Lindell has the propensity to fucking lie every time he opens his mouth. The FBI, after January 6th, did a six-month investigation. On January, or June 26, 2021, the FBI came out with their six-month report, Lindell claimed. After intense investigations, we have concluded that there was no collusion between Donald Trump or any one of his supporters involving January 6th. Well, it's funny, the text messages and the emails say something different. Mike, you have to understand, just because you say it doesn't make it so. In fact, The fact that you say it probably makes it a fucking lie. That should have been it, Lindell loudly said. That should have been it. The FBI website does not show the Bureau sending a press release between June 21st and 29th, despite Lindell's claim of a June 26th announcement. Boy, that's a surprise. On July 6, 2021, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia released a six-month report on the January 6th attack. Over 535 defendants have been arrested in nearly all 50 states, the report stated. Approximately 40 defendants have been charged with conspiracy, either conspiracy to obstruct a congressional proceeding, conspiracy to obstruct law enforcement during a civil disorder, conspiracy to injure an officer, or some combination of the three. That number grows significantly. On Thursday, the DOJ said in in the 20 months since January 6, 2021, more than 870 individuals have been arrested in all 50 states for crimes related to the breach of the U.S. Capitol, including over 265 individuals charged with insulting or impeding law enforcement. This is a funny thing. 
Mike Lindell is doing everything he can to try to help out Donald Trump. And why? Has Donald Trump helped him at all in this whole process? No. Does Mike Lindell have some other issues of his own? Yeah, he's being sued for $1.6 billion by Dominion, and they're probably going to win, which will pretty much destroy him of any money or any business he has. I feel bad for the people who work for MyPillow because Mike Lindell is running this company into the ground. Now they'll have to find other jobs. By the time this is all said and done, I expect to see Mike Lindell destroyed. He'll keep yapping. He'll keep trying to grift money. But eventually he'll fade away into nothing. And who knows, maybe he'll revert back to doing crack and maybe being homeless. He never had to do this, though. He could have stood up for Donald Trump during the election. He could have said there's uh, fake elections or election fraud. He could have done that, but then he should have let it go and just went back to doing what he does. You know, as dumb as this motherfucker is, you have to give him credit. He had a certain amount of success. He was a wealthy man. So why put your ass on the line for Donald Trump, who would never do it for anybody else, and destroy your entire reputation, your entire company, and all of your money? Why would you do this? This is clearly a sickness of some sort, whether it be cult behavior or what have you. But Mike Lindell is pretty much done. Now, I wonder if Nancy Pelosi would put him in front of the J6 committee. That wouldn't be a good call for Mike Lindell because we've got some very smart folks out there. And we've seen just your average interviewer destroy Mike Lindell, make him look foolish. Apparently, he hasn't had enough of that. Apparently, he wants to be uh, made a fool of much more (laughs) than he already has. I don't understand He's like a dog with a bone. He just won't give it up, even though he knows he's going to lose. Or maybe he doesn't know he's going to lose. Maybe he's so delusional that he thinks he's absolutely right, and this is why he's fighting. He thinks he's saving the country. And that seems to be the common attitude with a lot of these Trumplefucks. In their hearts, somehow, some way, in spite of all the evidence, they believe that they're saving this country and that Donald Trump is their Lord and Savior. I've never seen this large of a group of people that are so delusional and so wrong, and they just cannot see it. If members of their own family said, look, Bob, you got to pull it back a little bit. This is getting crazy. Fucking don't do that. They just fight harder. They double down. They don't care. It's almost becoming embarrassing for them. You know, at this point, If I walked up to a Trump humper or they walked up to me and started spewing the shit, all I could do is really laugh because it's so ridiculous. These people either are ignoring the evidence, aren't hearing the evidence, or don't care if the evidence is is accurate. I mean, some people think that these people do what they do because They don't care if Herschel Walker had two abortions. They don't care if Donald Trump sexually assaulted women. They don't care if Donald Trump stole uh, top secret documents. They see it as a means to an end. They see the Democrats turning this country into something that they see as destructive. 
So they decide, no matter what it takes, even if it's siding with somebody who is wrong or criminal, the means to the end is to save this country. And that is almost frighteningly stupid. It's, it's virtually sick, and I don't get it. <clears throat> I mean, most of us can look at cues. Let's be perfectly honest. If we watch this whole thing, all of us Democrats, and for some reason we found out all the things that Donald Trump was right, he was doing the right thing, I think most of us would say, okay, we were wrong. But these folks don't have the capability of admitting they're wrong. And that is the fatal flaw for any human being. I've said this before. If you want to be successful in life or relationships, at some point, you have to be able to admit and acknowledge that you were wrong. Because you most certainly will be wrong at one time or another. By continuing to go the wrong direction, that's a recipe for disaster. If you find out you were wrong about something, think of that as a gift. If you can realize that you've done something wrong, you could step back and say, okay, I get it, I'm wrong. And then you rethink and you go another way. And now you may have a way to success as opposed to certain failure by sticking to your guns and doubling down and continuing down that path that is fucking wrong. That's what normal people would do. That's what we would do as rational boomers. But these Trumplifucks, they don't have it in them. They will go off the cliff like so many lemmings following Donald Trump to the bottom of the bottom of the ravine. And that day's coming. You know, as much as people get anxious or or concerned, trust me, the day's coming. There's just too much evidence and there's too much to consider. These people were are going to be uh, taken to task. And I think this January 6th committee hearing coming up next Thursday is going to be the start of that. That will be the beginning of the end. What we will see there will have a serious impact, and it will carry the narrative up through the midterms in early November. And then, of course, as I've said before, I see the Democrats taking the House and the Senate, and all will be well. That said, we can't rest on our laurels. We have to understand that if not enough people turn out, if not enough people decide to vote, we could be in trouble with the Republicans. They could win some of these elections and ultimately take back some power. But this is a no-brainer. We can't give them the chance to get that power. People will say if Republicans get the power, then that's the end of democracy. I'm Honestly, I'm not that fatalistic about it. I don't think it's the end of democracy, but it's the start of the end, and we are headed the wrong direction, and we can't count on these Republicans to say, you know, you're right, we're wrong. Let's do something different. They will ride this into the ground and fail like they always fucking fail. Okay, this is an interesting story. It's not a big story. It's not even a surprising story, but uh, I thought it kind of funny and kind of... uh, Kind of an illustration of who these Trumplefucks are. You'll remember when I did the interview with um, Brian Wallenberg, the Trumplefuck. It was pretty one-sided. I knew it would be. But the reason I did it, it was to expose to we normal people just how stupid these people are. I think we give them too much credit 
sometimes, and uh, that works in their favor. They are ignorant. They are stupid. And if we know that, we can understand how to beat them at their own game, and we will beat them. But we can't be fearful or give them too much credit because that will work against us. Okay, there was a rally set up in Minden, Nevada. I mentioned that earlier. One of the first two women in line for Donald Trump's rally in Nevada voiced her support for both Vladimir Putin and Viktor Orban during an interview ahead of the former president's speech. Now, these are two vicious and ruthless and murderous dictators. But this average Trump lefuck in line to see their Lord and Savior speak are big supporters. And why? Well, because Donald Trump says he's a supporter. And anything Donald Trump says, they're on fucking board. The woman is one of the, call themselves, front row Joes that travel from rally to rally, much like the deadheads used to tour with the Grateful Dead. (laughs) Now, that's funny. The people who traveled around with the Grateful Dead everywhere, I thought that was kind of odd. But, you know, you do what you want to do. And you like the music and you like the band. That's cool. But these people that travel around, and I've seen a lot of people interviewed that do travel around to all Donald Trump's rallies. The problem is the fucking rallies are almost always the same thing. Donald Trump professing how great he is and how lucky they are to have him there. Three front row Joes were interviewed by Right Side Broadcasting Network. One of the women wore a MAGA King hat. I'm sure it was very attractive. One of the first two women in line from Michigan said she had been to 71 rallies. (laughs) It's ironic that she says she was at 71 rallies, because isn't it the Republicans that always claim to be against welfare and people living free off the country? She's been to 71 rallies. You don't have a fucking job? The other from Arkansas, she's been to 25 rallies. She said Orban is very good and was asked about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I love Putin, she said. He's a good, good president, she said. Number two after President One. Number two, I love him. She was wearing a fake media is the virus t-shirt. The woman said that they were going to drive over 750 miles overnight to attend Trump's Sunday rally at Mesa, Arizona. You notice he only goes to those places that he perceives as as, uh, friendly. You never see him come to Minnesota here. You never see him go to any place that might be slightly liberal. So essentially what Donald Trump is doing is preaching to the choir because nobody else will tolerate his shit. So he's really not building. See, that's the thing about the Republicans. They're not adding to their base. They're not adding more voters. All they're trying to do, because the only thing they can do, is try to whip whip up the existing voters. They can't attract new voters. All they're trying to do is whip up the ones they have to make sure they come out and vote in the midterms. But that's still not enough. Donald Trump has lost a lot of voters. The uh, independents and the normal-minded Republicans just can't get on board with this crazy fucking treasonous piece of shit. And they know they can't get them back. 
I mean, even if they thought they could get them back, then they come out with overturning Roe v. Wade and they lose half the country. Because half the country is women. There's another 20% above the 51% that uh, are men, and they could be Republican or they could be Democrat, and they are for Roe v. Wade. Like I said before so many times, how in the world do you think you're going to win an election if you've gone against the better judgment of 70% of this country? That can't work out well for you. The fact that they did it before the midterms was probably the stupidest strategic move I've ever fucking seen. And it's not going to work well for them. You know, we had the big hurricane down in Florida. It did untold amount of damage. People were injured. People were killed. We don't even know how many people were killed. I think it's up over 100 now, officially speaking, but everything we hear from Florida says it's far worse than that. For whatever reason, well, I know what reason, um, Ron DeSantis, the governor, is trying to tamp down how many people died. And it's for the very same reason Donald Trump tried to deny covid because they perceive it as something that's going to hurt them in the election. So they figure if they just make it not seem as bad as it was, it'll save them in the election. The only problem with Ron DeSantis is he can try to sell us and the rest of the country, and maybe he's successful with some of the stupider people in this country. But the people in the middle of it, in Florida, his constituents, the people he's counting on voting for him, are feeling it every day. The fact that he would suggest that um, it wasn't as bad in terms of deaths, the people in this area that live there are going to know better than that. They're going to have friends and family that were killed that aren't being counted in that 100-plus number that we're now hearing about. Again, that's not going to work well for him in the election. And now he's got Joe Biden going down there and... uh, Joe Biden isn't like Donald Trump. He's not going to blow them off. He's not going to hold back funding. No, Joe Biden's down there helping them in every way he can. And all Ron DeSantis can do is kiss his ass, in spite of the fact he's been trying to kick his ass for four or two years anyway. Anyway, this is interesting. A handful of Florida lawmakers requested emergency funding in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Now, that's not crazy. They want help for their people. But at the same time, they opposed legislation last month that included billions of dollars in disaster relief. There was a bill, and they were the Democrats voted to make sure the people in Florida got help. But the Republicans, what did they fucking do? They voted against it against their own people, against their own state. How do you explain that? And all I can say is it goes back to what I've said before. The only thing the Republicans care about right now isn't the people they represent. It's about owning the Democrats. And they don't want to see the Democrats pass a bill that might do some good for people, even people in Florida. Now, 12 House lawmakers from Florida penned a letter to Reps. Rosa DeLauro 
and Kay Granger, Republican from Texas, the chairwoman and ranking member, respectively, of the House Appropriations Committee on Tuesday, asking for their support in prioritizing an emergency supplemental package for the destruction caused by Hurricane Ian, which tore through the Sunshine State last week. But in late September, the group of 12, those same 12 people, voted against a stopgap spending bill that included millions of dollars in disaster relief. Now, some of them will say to you, well, there was a lot of pork in it, and we didn't want to vote for it. Look, you're in the middle of a fucking emergency. I don't know if there was pork in it. I doubt there was, but even if there was, isn't your first responsibility to help your people, whatever it fucking takes? Well, apparently it's not the case with many Republicans. Florida GOP reps Greg Stubbe, Carlos Jimenez, Maria Elvira Salazar, Bill Posey, Gus Bilarakis, Byron Donalds, Vernon Buchanan, Kat Kamek, Brian Mast, Michael Waltz, Neil Dunn, and Daniel Webster all signed the letter. But they also voted against the bill to send money to Florida. This seems contradictory, doesn't it? A spokesman for Donald's told The Hill in a statement that the congressman stands by his vote and commends his fellow GOP House members in the Florida delegation for taking the same action, calling the measure a continued blank check for Biden and congressional Democrats. But your people are sick and dying. They don't have power. They don't have food. They don't have water. Don't you see a little urgency there? Isn't it something you think you need to do? The continuing resolution where Speaker Nancy Pelosi cunningly placed the disaster relief aid was full of reckless spending that generally had nothing to do with funding the congressman's district and other disaster areas of need, the spokesman added. The continuing resolution, which Congress passed and President Biden signed into law, including $2 billion in disaster relief and what are 18 $0.8 billion for Federal Emergency Management Agency's FEMA Disaster Relief Fund for its response to the current and future disasters. The FEMA provision is language that allows the agency's Disaster Relief Fund to use its full year of allotted funds up front, according to a fact sheet from the House. And the fact is, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, The likelihood of another major disaster like that is slim. You have an emergency right now. People are suffering. Why wouldn't you want to do exactly or anything you could do to help those folks? But apparently politics was more important to the Republicans, and they just wanted to own the libtards. The stopgap bill did not, however, include direct funding for Hurricane Ian. Ten Republican House members supported the continuing resolution, none of whom represent districts in Florida. Hurricane Ian made landfall in Florida as a Category 4. We know that. There's more than 100 fatalities that have been counted thus far. We asked the House Committee on Appropriations to urgently urgently work with the Florida delegation in drafting an emergency supplemental appropriations package as we accumulated damage assessments. The group wrote in Tuesday's letter, We ask that you exclusively focus on recent hurricane disasters in this package 
and free from any language that is not directly related to the hurricane relief and recovery efforts. Now, the Hill reached out to the 12 lawmakers for comment on what they opposed the continuing resolution, despite the fact that it contains disaster relief. Those 12 Floridians were not alone in requesting emergency funding for their state, despite voting against the continuing resolution. Now, Matt Gates last weekend asked Congress for assistance following the hurricane. He wrote this on Twitter. Dear Congress, on behalf of my fellow Florida man in grave need of assistance, just send us like half of what you sent to Ukraine. Signed your fellow Americans. Gates, who voted against the continuing resolution, wrote on Twitter. So you got people suffering in your state, in your region that you represent, and you're still trying to own the libtars. Your first thought is to try to attack and try to embarrass the, the Democrats, which you didn't accomplish. You did it badly in the first place. Gates commented on the continuing resolution on his podcast last week, pointing to the timing of the measure. It lasts through mid-December and other provisions, including financial assistance for Ukraine. See, they don't like this Ukraine thing. They love, they love Vladimir Putin. They think he's doing the right thing, so they... Um, They want to do anything they can to fight against that. Everyone expects the Democrats are going to lose the House in November. No, not everyone. Not me, motherfucker. And so after losing the House, Nancy Pelosi still wants the opportunity to dictate the budget terms into potential Republican control. And some Republicans were so dumb that they went along with this, Gates said. Across the Capitol, Senator Rick Scott, who previously served as governor of the Sunshine State, is also pushing for a relief package in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. He went so far as to call for the Senate to reconvene to take up the measure. Senators are not scheduled to be back in Washington until next month. Scott was among 25 Republicans who opposed the continuing resolution in the upper chamber. Now, here's the deal. The last thing you want to do with regards to money is do anything Rick Scott fucking suggested. He's been a disaster handling the money for the U.S. Senate campaign to win the Senate. All of a sudden, money has disappeared. We know he stole money from Medicare, huge billions of dollars. And you want this guy financial advice. Yeah, I don't think so. Once we have the information we need from FEMA and our state and local officials, we cannot delay action on a clean aid package. If that means reconvening the Senate, then that is what we must do, Scott wrote. Or maybe we could just do what Donald Trump did down in in Puerto Rico. Absolutely nothing short of throwing fucking paper towels at these people. I mean, people in... In, in Puerto Rico are still struggling, still suffering, because Donald Trump did fucking nothing. The Republicans did nothing. And then they had another hurricane that hit that did not make matters any better. Now, Biden went down to Puerto Rico to say, we're going to help you, and uh, just we're sorry that the previous president didn't do his fucking job, but we'll we'll take care of you. Now, last week, Scott and Senator Marco Rubio wrote a letter to Senators Patrick Leahy of Vermont and Richard Shelby of 
a Republican at in Alabama, the top lawmakers on the Senate Appropriations Committee, asking for support in crafting a disaster supplemental to provide much-needed assistance to Florida. A robust and timely federal response, including through supplemental programs and funding, will be required to ensure that sufficient resources are provided to rebuild critical infrastructure and public services capacity and to assist our fellow Floridians in rebuilding their lives. The duo wrote in the letter dated September 30th, these provisions must be made a priority and considered at the earliest opportunity. Rubio was not present for the vote. He didn't even fucking show up on the continuing resolution last month, according to the Washington Post. He was in Florida to review the damage. No, motherfucker, what you should have been doing is getting as much money as quickly as possible for your people. And you could have done that by voting for that continuous resolution. But you chose not to fucking do it. Scott's office referred to the Hill to a statement that the senator put out last week responding to a report from the Washington Post that pointed out his opposition to the continuing resolution. Scott called the report misleading and argued that the stopgap bill did not include any funding for Hurricane Ian, which is an absolute fucking lie. He also noted his support for the disaster relief provision. Do you really think that Joe Biden was going to go through all this act like he's giving money to the Floridians and then not do it? Do you really believe that? I mean, that's something Donald Trump would do, but that's not what we're going to expect out of Joe Biden. Prior to Ian's development, I made clear that I fully supported the proposed disaster funding for other states and urged Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer to put that up for a standalone vote. He refused and delayed this relief so he could use it as a political weapon to stick in a CR that will end up fueling billions for Democrats' radical agenda right before they lose power, Scott wrote in a statement. Well, motherfucker, it passed anyway, so shut the fuck up. Money is coming. Now you want more money, even though you voted against it. This CR failed to fund the federal government until the new Congress begins in 2023, and that is why I could not support it. Sorry, Rick, I don't buy anything you fucking say. But despite those defenses, some Democrats are pouncing on the Florida Republicans who are asking for emergency assistance despite opposing the CR last month. Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz said Republicans in her state failed to put the interest of those suffering from tragedy above their own political fortunes. That's exactly what I said. Today, Florida's U.S. House Republicans failed every family still reeling in our state who will soon need the federal government's full strength and resources to rebuild and recover from the devastating effects of Hurricane Ian, she wrote in a statement last week. Now, here's the deal. If they didn't do it the way they did it, here's what's going to happen. Republicans are going to get in there and they aren't going to do jack's shit. But despite those defenses, some Democrats continue to pound on the Republicans. And the Republicans are uh, um, continuing to suggest, we don't want the Democrats to win. We want to own the Democrats so our constituents be damned. On Friday, Florida Senator, uh, the Florida Senator... Um, uh, Scott 
knocked his opponent for not voting for the relief following Hurricanes Irma and Maria, as reported in the Miami Herald. The hypocrisy here runs deep, right? She voted against the bills that had hurricane relief in the past, including relief for Puerto Rico and Florida, because she didn't like other things in the bill as well. Rubio said during an interview on the Guy Benson show. Now, here's here's the fucking deal. This is what they always say. They always say, well, we didn't like the bill because it had too much pork in it. Well, that wasn't the case with the CR here. And your first thought would should be helping the people of your state. And you didn't do it. Let's see how that does for you in the upcoming election. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Well, we know things aren't going well for Vladimir Putin and his war with Ukraine. He's losing a lot. He's trying to annex areas that he's getting kicked out of by the Ukrainian army. He's looking bad. And to be perfectly honest, that is the absolute worst thing that can happen to Vladimir Putin. He's always got to look like the strong man. He's always got to look like the winner. Sound like somebody you know, maybe Donald Trump? Except Vladimir Putin is a more dangerous man than Donald Trump ever could be, uh, mainly because he's a murderer. He is, in fact, uh, a dictator, and he's a bad guy. When he went into this war, he thought he was going to win it in three days. The moment it went three months, he should have said, you know what, maybe we'll back out of this. But like some of these other Trump fucks that we talked about in the past, they can't walk away. They can't admit they're wrong. All they do is double down and keep doubling down till somebody uh, fails and crashes and burns. And nine times out of ten, it's them. So an explosion Saturday caused the partial collapse of a bridge linking the Crimean Peninsula with Russia, damaging an important supply artery for the Kremlin's faltering war effort in southern Ukraine. Russian authorities said a truck bomb caused the blast, which would which killed three people. The speaker of the Russian-backed regional parliament in Crimea immediately accused Ukraine of being behind the explosion. Well, of course they were. It's a fucking war. Moscow didn't uh, apportion blame. Ukrainian officials have repeatedly threatened to strike the bridge and some lauded the destruction, but Kiev stopped short of claiming responsibility. So why wouldn't uh, Vladimir Putin suggest that the Ukrainians did it? Well, because that would make it look like the Ukrainians kicked his ass, which they did do. And he doesn't like that optic for obvious reasons. The explosion risked a sharp escalation in Russia's eight-month war with some Russian lawmakers calling for President Vladimir Putin to declare a counterterrorism operation in retaliation, shedding the term special military operation that had downplayed the scope of fighting to ordinary Russians. Now, the Kremlin could use such a move to broaden the power of security agencies, ban rallies, tighten censorship, introduce restrictions on travel, and expand a partial military mobilization that Putin ordered last month. Hours after the explosion, Russia's defense ministry announced that the Air Force Chief General Sergei Sorovokin would command all the Russian troops in Ukraine. They've got a new leader now. He keeps firing them. 
Surovokin, who over the, the summer was placed in charge of troops in southern Ukraine, had led Russian forces in Syria and was accused of overseeing a brutal bombardment that destroyed much of the city of Aleppo. Moscow, however, uh, they continue to suffer battlefield losses <clears throat> over and over again. On Saturday, a Kremlin-backed official in Ukraine's Kherson region announced a partial evacuation of civil, uh, civilians from the southern province, one of four illegally annexed by Moscow last week. Kuril uh, Stremausov told uh, Russia's state-run RIA Novosti agency that young children and their parents, as well as the elderly, could be relocated to two southern Russian regions because Kursan was getting ready for a difficult period. Some threats, if you will. The attack on it will have further sapping effort on Russia's morale and will give an extra boost to Ukrainians, said James Nixie of the Chatham House a think tank in London. Conceivably, the Russians can rebuild it, but they can't defend it while losing the war. Russia's National Anti-Terrorism Committee said a truck bomb caused seven railway cars carrying fuel to catch fire, resulting in the partial collapse of two sections of the bridge. A man and a woman in a vehicle on the bridge were killed, Russia's investigative committee said. It didn't say who the third victim was. This is going to be end up being the downfall of Vladimir Putin. Much like Donald Trump and some of these other fucks, if they kept their ego in check and just flew under the radar, they could have led, lived uh, happily, comfortable, safely, and rich. I've always said ego is the downfall of most men. They overlook their families, they overlook relationships, they overlook friendships, they overlook uh, <clears throat> even money for their own fucking egos, their own fragile egos, and it gets them in trouble. This is getting Vladimir Putin in trouble. Now, they're mad, they're upset that the Ukrainians blew out this bridge, which was a good military strategic move. And since we're in a war there, that should not be a surprise to anybody. Maybe the Russians should have protected it better, but they didn't. They couldn't because they're losing on all theaters in that country. So they're upset about it. They're pissed off, and it just puts Ukraine closer to pushing these people back. And they are starting to run. They're starting to leave the areas that are allegedly annexed by Vladimir Putin. How do you annex a region if you don't have control of that region? And that's exactly what is happening. I don't know how long this Ukrainian war is going to go, but I do know this for sure. It ain't going like Vladimir Putin thought it would, and it's not going well for Russia. Here's an interesting story. We know how Senator Lindsey Graham is just a um, sycophant. Uh, acolyte of Donald Trump. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina told police officers that he didn't understand why they just didn't open fire on rioting Donald Trump supporters who stormed the U.S. Capitol last year, according to a new book. This came out in the book. You guys should have shot them all in the head, Graham is quoted as saying, per excerpts shared by Politico on Friday. 
The senator, Mr. Graham, who was often a key ally to the former president, reportedly made the remarks at a meeting with law enforcement four months after the January 6th insurrection in Washington, D.C. We gave you guys guns and you should have used them, Graham reportedly added. I don't understand why that didn't happen. Well, that's a different perspective for Senator Lindsey Graham than what we hear in the media, isn't it? Michael Fanone, a former D.C. Metropolitan Police officer who was badly beaten by Trump supporters during the riot, recalled the exchange. He was there, he heard it, and it's in the book Hold the Line, the insurrection and won a cop's battle for America's soul due out on Tuesday. That should be an interesting book. Here's a cop that was in the thick of it. Here's a cop that was uh, beaten and tased. He had a heart attack while he was there. Fedona also recalled Graham threatening to end a meeting with the bereaved mother of a Capitol Police officer, Brian Sicknick, who died after the riot. Right now, if she continued to speak badly of Trump, Graham was not commented on those claims. Fanone is a one-time Trump voter, has become a fierce critic of the Republican hypocrisy over the riot and GOP's attempts to downplay the violence. He resigned from the police department last year and is now a CNN contributor on law enforcement issues. Graham routinely condemned Trump before his 2016 election victory, but went on to become one of the staunchest supporters of Donald Trump. After the riot, Graham said enough is enough on the Senate floor and appeared to cut ties with Trump. But he's since cozied back up to the former president. And I think uh, some of us, most of us think that there might be a little bit of... uh, I don't know, blackmail involved? There's a lot about Lindsey Graham's background we don't know. And what we are hearing about him being gay and, you know, he's 65 years old. He lives with his best friend. He's never been married. Now, the idea that he might gay is certainly of no consequence. That's not a big deal. Nobody cares. But the fact of the matter is he comes out against LGBTQ people on a regular basis. He's cozying up to Donald Trump when it's against his better judgment. We know it is because prior to 2016, he explained that he thought this guy was the most horrible human being ever. But then all of a sudden, when Donald Trump is president, he's his best buddy. He's even going golfing with him. Now, Donald Trump, known for blackmail. That's how he does his business. He is thought to be a mentor to Jeffrey Epstein, whose whole business was fucking blackmail. That's how he got rich. And we know that Donald Trump and Jeffrey were close. I talked about a story a little while ago in a previous podcast, how when Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested, it's it's quoted as saying that Donald Trump suggested, uh, so... uh, did she mention my name? Well, I have a feeling she did mention his name, and I have a feeling that some more will come out about that. Once Donald Trump starts losing, the avalanche will start. As I've said, the first indictment comes out, and then you're going to see a flurry of indictments coming out against Donald Trump and those people around him. 
there are still people a little afraid about indicting a former president. Fortunately, somebody like Fannie Willis, who's got some new subpoenas on board, including um, Michael Flynn and, uh, and Newt Gingrich. Now, here's another guy. Like I said before about Donald Trump, Mike Lindell. Here's a guy that should have just kept his mouth shut and flew under the radar. He was the Speaker of the House years ago, and he's obviously a crazy fuck. But he's could just end his life as an elder statesman. But instead, he decides to open his mouth and makes him uh, complicit in this overturning the election, the insurrection, and the fake electors. He was in the thick of that. This guy could have flown under the radar, but now there's an excellent chance that he may be going to jail. I don't know what it is about these Republicans. I mean, they seem to have just a ridiculous amount of gall and stupidity. Why would you put yourself in that situation? I don't get it for the life of me. And then you've got these people, as I've said before, that continue to stick by Donald Trump. At some point, you got to look at yourself and say, you know, this is a bridge too far. i got to back out of this. I can't do this anymore. I've got to save my life. But still, there are people that refuse to do that. Now, I think when you're looking at Roger Stone and Michael Flynn, I think we're looking at people that know they're going to lose. So all they can possibly do is fight like hell and hope something falls their way. But it's not going to. It's just, it's not going to. They're fucked. And Mr. Mr. Lindsey Graham is fucked too. Now we know that Fonnie Willis wants to talk to him, wants him to testify in her grand jury in Georgia over the attempt to overthrow the Georgia election. We have Donald Trump on tape. There was one call, and it's very damning. The thing with Lindsey Graham, we know there was two calls. And he claims it was part of his job, which makes no sense because he's a senator from South Carolina and he's calling the attorney or not the attorney general, the secretary of state of Georgia, trying to get him to make things more favorable to Donald Trump. There's no way that's part of his job. Now, we're still waiting for a decision from uh, an appellate court, I think, about when he's going to testify. But make no mistake. That motherfucker is going to testify. There is nothing keeping him from testifying. The only thing he can do is do what he's been doing, and that's delay it. But the inevitable will happen. He will have to testify. And he does not want to do this because he's smart enough to know he can't lie. But if he doesn't lie, he's going to throw Donald Trump under the bus, and he's going to throw himself under the bus. He's in a no-win situation at this point. He is not going to win on this one. And it's a pretty sad state of affairs for him, but I love seeing it. Here's a guy that is a fucking dirtball, a sycophant, and working to hurt this country. There should be no stopping, no no, uh, preference given to this fucking clown, regardless if he's a... uh, U.S. Senator, regardless of if Donald Trump is a former president, Newt Gingrich, a former House Speaker. In spite of that, what these people did is attempt to accomplish something that there's nothing more egregious in this country, trying to overthrow 
our government, trying to undermine democracy, to try to overturn a lawful election. I don't care who you are. That should be too far. And you should be subject to the same punishment that if you or I did these sorts of things. And I keep my fingers crossed and hope that's the case. But at the very least, we've got to take these people out of our government. We have a lot of people in the House, some in the Senate, and of course a former president that we cannot allow to continue in this government. They are a cancer on this country and a cancer on democracy, and they need to be cut out and sent away whether it be to jail or to exile or whatever the fuck it is. I don't care. But they cannot be in our government anymore. All right, this last story I wanted to talk about, not because it's political. Well, it might be a little political. But it's because it kind of hits home. As you know, I was in Las Vegas. I just got back yesterday or whatever days. I got back... um, what day did I get back? I can't even remember. But it was yesterday. It was right out, right before I did the last podcast. And, you know, honestly, I'm not one that Vegas is a fine town. And those, I met a lot of people in Vegas that were very nice. And it's a fine town. But I'm not much of a gambler. I'm not much into the glitz and all that stuff. But I did go down there. I had a good time with my brother and my nephew and such. <clears throat> By the way, somebody asked me, did you go down to Fremont Street and what did you think? I did go down to Fremont Street. That's not the first time I'd ever been there. So I kind of knew what to expect. But that is absolute fucking chaos. I mean, for somebody who's younger, it might be fun. It wasn't necessarily fun for me. By that time, I'd already walked a long ways. I'm tired. I'm fucking old. I'm just not into the party scene like that down there. But if you are, Fremont Street is a little crazy. So to the gentleman who asked me, I will say I did go. I thought it was chaotic. I thought it was loud. And I thought it was hard to take for a guy like me. Uh, But of course, I'm 62 years old. I'm not 30. And I have a different perspective. I've seen these kind of situations before. When I was young, I thrived on it. But not anymore. I, I, I just can't thrive on it. You know, we'd been walking all day, all fucking day. And then finally, uh, my nephew had to go to talk to somebody who was a bartender or something, somebody he knew. He used to live there, so he knew a lot of people. And my brother and I just sat at a table, had a drink, and we sat there for about 45 minutes. I looked at my brother and I said, you know, since we've been down into Vegas, this is the fucking most fun I've had. Just sitting here relaxing and enjoying life. And he agreed. He was getting a little tired of walking too. I mean, he's 61. I'm 62. We're too old to be fucking doing this. We can't be chasing after millennials. I love my nephew, but Jesus Christ, where does the energy come from? Anyway, it's enough about that. Let's talk about the serious story that happened in Vegas. And it literally happened about a block and a half away from where I was. And it's frightening, not only for the people in Vegas, but for people all over this country. We're seeing random violence and people getting killed every part of this country. And it's absolutely frightening. A man accused of stabbing eight people on the Strip thought he was being ridiculed 
when he tried to take a photo with a woman dressed as showgirls, according to his arrest report. His name is Yanni Barrios, 32, was arrested Thursday and appeared briefly in court Friday afternoon wearing orange restraints over his hands. His face, he faces six counts of attempted murder and two counts of murder. This young man is going to go away for a long time. Clark County District Attorney Steve Wolfson said the officials had not found a motive for the attacks. We're still looking into why a person would do this, he said after Friday's hearing. He said he did not know why Barrios had been placed in hand restraints in addition to wrist restraints typically used on inmates. Barrios is accused of fatally stabbing Las Vegas residents Maris DiGiovanni, 30, and Brent Hallett, 47, on Thursday morning on the 3100 block of Las Vegas Boulevard South. The Clark County Coroner's Office ruled on Friday that DiGiovanni died from a stab wound to the chest and that Hallett died from a stab wound to the back, according to County Spokesman Dan Coolin. D. Giovanni was among the four women posing as showgirls, and Barrios asked to take a photo with them, according to the arrest report released Friday by the Metropolitan Police Department. Now, witnesses said he was wearing a chef's long-sleeved white jacket and holding a large knife. He claimed he was selling knives. Now, i got to be honest with you. If you see a guy walking around with a knife anywhere, especially in Vegas— you might want to stop him. You might want to say, hey, dude, what's up? And take that fucking knife away from him. But apparently nobody, none of the law enforcement that might have been in the area had thought to do that. One showgirl told police he was, she was uncomfortable with his proposal and backed away, but the man charged at her and stabbed her in the back as she ran from him. Now, witnesses said Barrios then stabbed D. Giovanni before running down the strip and stabbing several more people, according to the arrest report. Completely random. Two of the women, including one who was stabbed, ran away into Wynn, Las Vegas, seeking help and waited for police. A man who was stabbed told police that Barrios said, sorry, man, before stabbing him in the back. Police said Barrios threw a 12-inch knife into the bushes on the sidewalk while running, but but was detained by Las Vegas Sands Corporation security guards behind the palazzo. Now, Barrios, who, who had an address in Los Angeles, told police he arrived in Las Vegas a couple of days earlier to move in with a friend, but the friend told him he could not stay at the house. Barrios then packed his things and took a bus to the Strip. Barrios stated that on the bus ride to the Strip, people were making fun of him, and he wasn't being treated like a human being. Oh, well, that's a natural response. People were picking on you, calling you names. We don't know that that actually happened. He told police he went in to win Las Vegas, asking a janitor about jobs. The security guard told Barrios to jump in front of a train, detectives wrote in the arrest report. Barrios then went outside and met the woman on the pedestrian bridge. And they're all over the place. You've got these women that are dressed like showgirls. They're not showgirls. They're just girls. Uh, And they're dressed as showgirls, and they're selling pictures. 
Barrios thought the women were laughing at him and making fun of his clothing. Clothing. Then the, the the arrest report says. Now, he told police that after attacking the woman on the bridge, he started looking for groups of people on the strip to harm so he could let the anger out. Oh, yeah, natural. I'm angry. Let's go stab people. Barrio said he wanted to make money to go home to Guatemala, but he was hoping officers would shoot him, according to the arrest report. The report describes Barrio's as a native of Mexico. My information is that he's not a citizen of the United States, Wolfson told reporters on Friday. And if that ends up being the case, of course, the Republicans will blame Joe Biden. Wolfson also said the defendant's citizen status would not affect how this case is prosecuted. Neither Wolfson nor the arrest report indicated whether Barrios was in the country legally. So we don't really even know that. In response to a Las Vegas Review-Journal request to interview Barrios at the Clark County Detention Center, a Metro spokesman, a spokesperson wrote on Friday, due to his current housing, he will not be able to conduct any jailhouse interviews at this time. There is an online fundraising, said the women work for the best showgirls in Vegas, Cheryl Lothorpe, owner of of Best Showgirls, confirmed that the three workers were wounded and Dia Giovanni was killed. This fund is being created with a purpose to provide our girls with resources they need to recover, she wrote. This will go towards funeral, medical, professional help, and other financial recovery efforts. Women dressed as showgirls could be seen posing for photos in front of the Mirage on Friday afternoon. Yeah, they're all over the place. You know those guys handing out those little cards? The, the the women in the showgirl outfits are just as common. And you know what? If that's how you decide to make a dollar, that's fine. That's fine. They're lovely women, and they've got the showgirl costumes. And if you want to take a picture with them, Godspeed. But these women and everybody else who's on the strip shouldn't have to suffer through or struggle this kind of danger. I mean, I, I think what's 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 so upsetting to me about this is that it's so random. The fact that it happened nearby to where I was doesn't really frighten me because the fact of the matter is this kind of thing can happen anywhere. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen in churches, synagogues, schools, on the Las Vegas Strip. And it doesn't always have to be guns. There's been a lot of stabbings lately, and I don't know why that's starting to come to light because getting guns in this country is not fucking difficult. But anyway, this guy clearly stabbed some people, killed some people, and whether he is legal or not, he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail without question. I think what that says to us, though, is that we as a people have to be a little more careful out there. I long for the days when you can just walk down the street and feel completely safe. But that's not the case, and it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in New York City or some rural town in Kansas. Some bullshit like this could break out, and somebody with an unstable mind and an um, emotionally unstable can do the most horrific things. And that frightens me the most. I'm, I'm not even really worried about me so much. I worry about other people on the streets. I worry about my family, my sons, my wife, my grandkids, 
my grandnieces and nephews. You can't watch over all of them. You can't protect all of them because you can't be in all those spots at one time. So you have to trust the law enforcement and you have to trust the safety of the areas they're going. You tell them not to go to the dangerous places, but uh, the Las Vegas Strip with all these people on the Strip, you would think it was safe. I know when I was walking around Las Vegas down a street, uh, my brother would say, well, this isn't the best part of town. And I always say, yeah, but there's a lot of people around. We should be fine. Turns out that's not the case. Turns out that's not true. And that's a sad state of affairs in this country. We have a lot of issues with our politics. But when it comes to the safety of the average Joe walking down the street and he can't be sure or she can't be sure whether she's safe, that's not what this country should be. This country should at the very least be a safe place for us to go. If we are truly free people, we should be able to go wherever we want. Even those highly populated areas, we should be able to go there and not be worried about being injured or killed. But unfortunately, in this country, in this day and age, that is not a case, not the case. And that, at the very least, is fucking troubling. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to sit down and listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.